Welcome to the Leadership Upside Podcast with Chuck Carringer, where we discuss what successful leaders are doing, saying, and thinking. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Leadership Upside Podcast. This is actually our very first episode, so we're honored to have you with us. I'm your host, Chuck Carringer. Our guest today is Clark Twitty. Clark is the president of Twitty & Company, located in the Outer Banks area of North Carolina. Clark, welcome to Leadership Upside. Chuck, I am thrilled to be here. I'm so excited about this podcast. Thank you for including me. Well, we really appreciate you helping us kick off this new adventure. I'd like for you to to start us off today with a little bit of context and tell us something about uh, Twitty & Company. Thank you for the opportunity. Twitty and Company, for your listeners, is headquartered on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. That's the very northeastern corner of North Carolina. We are in the tourism business, the vacation rental business that so many folks know as Airbnb. We've been doing it here in North Carolina for more than 40 years right now. And our job is to get people to come vacation on the Outer Banks and then make them happy when they're here to the extent that they want to come again. And we do that on behalf of more than a thousand homeowners. So we manage a little over a billion dollars of private investment. We are home to about 175 full-time staff, but seasonally, which is to say most people come on vacation in the summertime, we actually will ramp up to more than 600 because of our housekeeping staff, our field staff that goes and maintains homes, and our vendorship partners, our vendor partners. And long and short of it, all I do is brag about our team. So that's my number one job. Clarkins, I've gotten to know you over the past year. I've been fascinated uh, with your company and and uh, the steps that, that you take to uh, try to help people have a great week uh, or wh- however long they're staying uh, in one of your properties and also the the attention you give your property owners. I know you're a student of leadership. And I would like to dig into some of your lessons learned, um, leadership lessons learned, if you will, as you've journeyed through your various leadership roles and now as president of Twitty and Company. My favorite leadership quote comes from a speech that I saw Jim Mattis, who at one time was the Secretary of Defense. Before that, he spent a career in the Marine Corps. And he offered some advice in a graduating benediction to a group of students. And he said, very simply, serve others first. And that is the path to a life well lived. So I have loved that quote. And I really do think that's the key, at least for me personally, to a path that is both rewarding, satisfying, and and most importantly, meaningful. I was fortunate to join the service. I grew up here on the Outer Banks. I watched Top Gun in 1986 when I was 10 years old and uh, in our local theater and decided that that was the life for me. And I didn't actually go on to be a pilot, but I joined the Navy for 10 years. I did go to serve at Top Gun uh, and was very fortunate to be uh, get to watch some of those professionals in action. Spent several years in Iraq and Afghanistan. And then went to graduate school on the GI Bill, which I think is the best government investment in the history of the United States. And then we are a second generation family business here at Twitty and Company. My mother and father founded Twitty and Company in 1978. And my brother is my best friend. So when I got out of graduate school, I looked around at several different options and thought, how cool would it be to go work with your best friend and try to make people happy? So came home and have been here now, I think, for about 10 years 
uh, and have served in a couple different capacities locally and at the state level as well, simply because I was slow to Netflix. And uh, in the meantime, I had to go do some things to stay entertained. So I've served as the head, for example, of strategic planning for North Carolina's community college system, which has 800,000 students, but also much more locally in some of our community foundations and things like that. Long story short, I'm just fortunate. And uh, in the words of Bull Durham, I'm just lucky to be here. Clark, quite a, a an extensive um, background in leadership roles. Let me pause for a minute and say thank you for your service okay. um, uh, through our military. Um, at Twitty and Company, there are likely some principles that you um, build around and and make as pillars of your organization and as and of your leadership. Uh, can you share some of those? Absolutely. Our business is actually, it gets complicated only in the details. The most important things we do are actually very simple. Our company comes down to two words. It's listen and not just listen like, yeah, yeah, just listen. Listen deeply and ferociously. Listen to the big things and the small things and listen, listen, listen. And then the second word is trust. All we have is a company. Forget about our buildings and our pickup trucks and our website, we have trust. We have the trust of our staff because they vote with their feet every morning. We have the trust of our homeowners and our vacationing guests that we do what we say we will do and we deliver what we say we will deliver. And without that, we have nothing. And it gets more complicated from there, but those are two of our principles. And the third principle, my father who founded the company has always articulated it's all about the people. This is still a people business. I've got two favorite quotes there. Uh, one is from Dr. Jim Goodnight, who founded SAS, the global analytics powerhouse. And he said for years, if you treat people like they'll make a difference, then they'll make a difference. And then the other one is a very rural entrepreneur in North Carolina who started a small fast food company in one place. And it went on to be one of the biggest fast food franchisers on the East Coast, very humble gentleman. And he said, Across all of our restaurants, we never talked about what we served. We said people make the difference. And um, those are two good North Carolina examples of why we think people continue to be the most important thing we focus on. Clark, why do you think that um, some leaders embody that, that element of trust and people, the people they lead naturally or over a period of time, they just align with them, they trust them, even in difficult circumstances, that trust is, is really unwavering. And other leaders never really seem to garner the full trust of those they lead. Just in your experience, what's the separator? You know, I'll give you a recent example. So I can't uh, talk too broadly about it. I'm too keenly aware of my own faults to, to be able to offer too much advice to others. But across the pandemic, everybody now is evolving their leadership style reflective of the pandemic. In our case, in the hospitality sector, it's no secret that travel and tourism literally sailed into a steel curtain. And everybody in the space began to have some existential concerns about their business. So what a trust moment. And my observation in that was, how do you keep the trust of your team and your customers in a situation that in some cases is financially dire, never mind the healthcare crisis that's going on, which obviously is the, is the bigger component, but the financial piece. 
And number one, I think, is some authenticity. Uh, I've read a quote recently that authenticity is the new authority. So you have to be willing to actually take your your armor off and stop acting. And I sometimes have worn both armor and acted as I thought a leader would act. The other component of it is you had to, and at least in my experience, be very truthful with the team and still be optimistic. I've heard some people call that bounded optimism, but bounded optimism doesn't say don't tell them the truth. So we would gather our team together and be very honest, like bluntly honest about circumstances and still believe in our team and still be optimistic. And I think the other component of it is you have to be willing to appear, and this is extraordinarily difficult for me, but you have to be willing to be vulnerable. I think most human beings don't like the idea of being vulnerable. In fact, Maybe you're not human if you don't like, if, if you're comfortable with that idea. But there were several instances over the past year where you, at least I would have to be very vulnerable in front of a lot of people and be authentic in doing so. And to me, those were three things that I think helped confirm some trust because our team is a smart team. Like your listeners have smart teams. They can spot it. And the minute they detected us trying to fool them or some some unrealistic expectations or an ivory tower approach in a crisis, they'll pick that off in a heartbeat. And then the last piece, obviously, it was just showing up. Uh, I think we were we would just show up quietly where we needed to be and not micromanage or meddle. We've got smart people and we get out of their way. But just being around, I think, helped. I could go on about it for days. I know this is a podcast, but I think those are some things that we maybe discovered again in 2020. I love it. Uh, great reminders, being present, uh, being uh, accessible, and being vulnerable. And what a great phrase, bounded optimism. Uh, fantastic. Clark, I know it's important to you that Twitty and Company be a place where people want to come work, that they enjoy the work experience. Uh, what are some, some uh, actions that you and your team have taken to make the Twitty culture what it is? I love that question. And you're right. Culture is one of the very most important things we do. And we kind of can break it up into a, a couple different buckets. Obviously, as a, as a place that we hope is the employer of choice in our region, we know that smart people have options and we have to compete. So we try to offer a compensation package that is always going to match that of the best employers in the region and then go above it. So we work really hard on that. All your listeners are, know those kinds of things, 401k matching, salary, health insurance, those things that are just as essential as oxygen in the pursuit of talent. In terms of a culture, we define culture really as two things. It's a sense of belonging, and it's something that is greater than oneself, uh, something that contributes to a greater good. For us, in many cases, that's a team environment. So we try to combine relentlessly a sense of belonging. We do a lot of things that, that we think are very collaborative. Before the pandemic, this is one of the things that I think people reflect most happily about during their time at Twitty. Every year we take an annual trip. Not every year, but just about every year. We didn't this year, of course. Uh, and we take the whole team and we go somewhere in the world. We've been to Paris and Prague and Vegas and New York and Nashville and all different kinds of spots. And inevitably, when we talk to people about favorite moments at Twitty and Company, whether you've been here for five years or 10 years or 20 years, the travel and the memories that you create and our experience has been that those trips 
create a sense of belonging. So we are always trying to reinforce a working family, particularly in a family business, because the family, one of the risks is if you're not a member of the family, you somehow feel a little left out or you feel not as included. We have always tried to reverse that. A family business is a working family business, and that's all the people that come together. So those are the two things that I think we've really focused on, a sense of belonging and then in service to something greater than good. We rent vacation homes, but that's not really what we do. I hope that we create some of the best memories in the lives of the people who come stay with us. I hope that 20 years later, when they gather for weddings and funerals, because that's frankly when people come together, but we also hope they come together for vacations, they laugh about that week at the beach. And if that happens, that's what we're here to do. So anyway, without going on a soapbox, uh, those are the two things I think we spend some time on. Awesome. I applaud your uh, investment in your your culture, the everyday uh uh, top shelf aspects where you're 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 taking the actions that that really make a difference every day. But the annual trip is really something uh, spectacular because I can imagine uh, that forges those connections in a way that uh, could not be forged in just the day to day uh, workplace. When you travel with someone, when you're with someone for a few days out of the office. The connections seem to be cemented. They seem to be, they, they are forged in a way that um, you can't um, accomplish in a day-to-day manner. So kudos to you and your team uh, well, for the trip idea. Uh, I want to take a turn and I'd like for you to share uh, as the person uh, at the, the top of your organization, I'd like to talk about strategy. Yes. Uh, and of course, uh, 2020 was a year like uh, no other. And and I'm sure there were many strategic adjustments uh, that, that were made. But let's, let's not just think of 2020. Uh, Clark, as you're working um, strategically, can you just share a little bit about what thinking strategically means to you and your team? Yes. And what a great conversation. I'll try to make this brief and I'll throw in a couple different frameworks. I'll, I'll throw in a quote that we've used and then how we present it. The analogy that I so often share with our team is I use an airplane analogy and we've all been in airplanes and we know that the cockpit window in an airplane is not directly in the floor of the airplane. That's not where the pilots are looking because they're there already. The faster the airplane, the more they're looking at the horizon. So the cockpit in any airplane is always ahead. So to me, that's always a good strategic metaphor. We should be looking out the cockpit window, the windshield. Airplanes don't have rear view mirrors because you've been there already. And that's not what the pilots are thinking about right now. Um, we have done two different things. And I'll use an example. There's a gentleman up at uh, the Kellogg School of Management up at Northwestern named Harry Kramer. And he talks a lot about leadership. And one of the things he said that really stuck with me this year was, in an environment that's so uncertain and strategic plans literally just start going out the window, come down to a really simple strategic plan. And ours was do the right thing and do the best you can. And sometimes in the pandemic, we could only strategically plan a week or two out of ahead. And we simply said, those are the two things we're going to do. And then when we manifested that, we would have these weekly meetings with our team in 2020, again, going back into that financial steel curtain. And we said four things. Here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Here's what we're doing. 
And here's what to expect from us in the next several weeks. And we would just relentlessly use that same framework. And people would say, well, how are you evaluating decisions? And you'd say, lean but loyal to staff. We're loyal to the folks who are here. We're not going to spend any more money on staff because cash is is really tight. And we're going to stick close to our customers, uh, which means we're going to listen to our customers going back to that earlier thing. And then strategically, obviously, your listeners know there's an internal strategy component about how to optimize the efficiency of your company. And a lot of times I think about our company like an athlete. And what's the company eating? What's the pace on a treadmill? How fast is the company running? Is it getting enough recovery time? I think about that a lot. You know, like every athlete, Tom Brady won his seventh Super Bowl last night. I see a bunch of headlines about his regimen. His regimen was pretty surprising. And there was a lot of recovery time in there. And then externally, uh, we spend a lot of time trying to understand the competitive market that we're in, obviously, like everybody else. Uh, And I often think, what's not the high road in that competitive market, but what's the highest road? Particularly in a family business, we spend a lot of time talking about a reputation. We can go buy or finance a lot of things. We cannot buy or finance a reputation. And we always think about the value of our reputation strategically. What what do we support? What do we don't? And then Jim Collins, and this is my last comment on it. Jim Collins has often said that what make a company becomes great in deciding what not to do. And so many times, I'm sure your listeners know this, there are unlimited opportunities to go and do new things. We think strategically about what we're saying no to, because we think that in many ways defines us. Uh, Clark, a a bit more on strategy. A couple of questions. Do you and your team have a a systematic way, maybe an annual planning, a quarterly review, some method uh, for for checking your strategy and seeing if, hey, we're on the right track or we want to make an adjustment? And can you approximate for us, how far out are you trying to look in a business such as yours, um, how far ahead are you trying to strategically think and plan? Great question. We do a weekly strategic meeting with our senior leadership team and then our unit level leadership, which at our company we call department heads. We do that monthly and it's based on priorities. And priorities to us means you've said yes to one thing and correspondingly, you've said no to something else because each human being has 168 hours a week. When you do one thing, you also decide not to do something else. And we agree on priorities at that unit level leadership and a priority we define as resource supported because where there's no money, there's no mission. Number two is a clarified reporting relationship who's the owner of this, who's accountable for moving this forward, who's going to lead it. And then number three is it has to be time-based. There's no priority that's not time-based. So that's a little bit of some of the frameworks we use. The second part of your question, how far out are we thinking? Obviously, we try to think several years out from multiple lenses. We think of a financial lens. We think of people lenses in terms of talent management, career management. The analogy our strategic group often uses is a roadmap, and we talk about off-ramps and how far down the road is that? Can we see it in the headlights? 
Do we need our high beams on for that? And the reason we tell a lot of stories is because we can then go repeat it, hopefully broadly across the company. And I'll, I'll leave you with a funny story on that. To answer your question most specifically, we are looking in terms of how far out, I'd describe it as counter-cyclical thinking, which means we're not looking for the next high or low in the market because markets fluctuate. We're looking for the market cycle on the other side of that demand curve so that we can build the company not for the next high or low, but build the company for the corresponding change on the other side because we're so loyal to our team. We don't want to be irresponsible with our people and we want to be transparent on our counter-cyclical approach. The story I'll share with you, I had a friend of mine come stay on the Outer Banks recently and one of our maintenance folks showed up at the house. They had something wrong and our maintenance gentleman went out there and the, the one of my, my buddy just said, how you doing? And one of our folks went on to describe how the market had operated, what we'd done in response to it, what 2021 looked like and what he thought about 2022. And I love that story. And my buddy said, what a great brand ambassador. But more importantly, he understood the strategy. So the guy that came to my house to fix the Wi-Fi could articulate very well the strategy as a company. And to me, that's the ultimate test of a strategy. Can your folks who engage directly with your customers articulate it? And if they can't, throw it out and simplify it. So I love that story as an example of what is effective strategy. Fantastic. Clark, let's go to the, uh, let's step into that department uh, head um, uh, or unit level uh, meeting that you have. If uh, if myself and our listeners could transport ourselves into that meeting, what would we observe about that meeting? Uh, So I always try to start it with a joke. You know, I I try to lighten the mood. I try to get some informality going, some humor. I'll typically either ask about a personal moment. Does somebody have a child? Does somebody's daughter just got promoted? Does someone have a wedding? Does someone have a road trip, a memory? So that way I'm making it personal. And I'm also hopefully calming everybody down because it is, I can be accused of being overly formal. I'm aware of that. You and I talk a lot about self-awareness and self-reflection. So I build into the meeting agendas, opportunities for me not to be so so formal. And then we talk about a little bit of long-term planning, what's coming around the corner, typically six months out, because I'm trying to teach one foot in today, one foot in tomorrow. And so often that's where I use that aviation analogy. Remember, we've got to look out the cockpit window in addition to knowing where we are today. And then inevitably we say, we'll go into a priority conversation And I'll structure the firefighting, the tactical component that every meeting has. What's going on today? What are the problems of today? What happened yesterday? What's happening today? What's happening tomorrow that every organization talks about? But I'll save that for the tail end. I'll drive through some of those priority discussions. And particularly, what are we saying no to? And I'm looking to highlight roadblocks and speed bumps and then cheer and encourage the people bringing those forward and asking for help. So for example, hey, I've got a priority here. I've got a weakness that we won't achieve the priority. Frankly, I need some help or, hey, I've got nothing but but bad things to say about this priority. That to me is the behavior and the culture to be applauded. And then I'll build in 15 minutes at the end for what I'll call firefighting. 
cats and dogs, the meeting, I used to do it for an hour, but I found that I was rushing it in an hour. The natural flow of that seems to be about an hour and 15 minutes. And then the requirement we use amongst that team is you cannot have a meeting that runs right up to the beginning of this one. Because if you come running into this one, it means you're not prepared. It means you haven't had a chance to do some self-reflection and some self-awareness. And you can't have a meeting right at the tail end of this department level meeting. You've got to take a few minutes to take some notes, communicate with your team. So we have some little bumpers on either side and we don't enforce it obviously, but that's what we ask of our leadership group. And we talk about priorities and we try to to understand each other as people and, and applaud and encourage the identification of problems and the collaborative response to that. Outstanding. I love the level of intentionality that is present in Twitty and Company. There is not much happening by accident or by happenstance. Uh, I love the intentionality at which you operate. One final question for this episode. Let's think of that same group of unit leaders. Um, Let's say you were hiring one. You had an open position. And I know you work hard to to retain uh, uh, your good employees, but from time to time, you're going to have an opening. Besides technical knowledge in the area that you need filled, what are three or four of the intangibles that you want your leadership team to be known for? We have a hiring process at Twitty that takes two channels. One is a competency channel and the other is a personality channel. And we actually call it the P committee. And the P committee assesses fit, cultural fit, but also personality engagement. And we assess both those things equally. And in our company, the P committee actually has the ability to trump, effectively veto the recommendation of the competency assessment, because we value the personality component at a greater rate than we do competency, because we believe we can train competency. We don't believe we can train personality. To answer your question, I would love for our unit level leadership, obviously, to be a couple of different things. Number one is selfless in the face of their team. They have to be willing to put their team ahead of themselves. Number two is we want driven. We want initiative. We want problem solvers who lean forward. We want them to make mistakes. We want them to obviously fail fast and fail cheap, but we're looking for driven personalities. We're looking for a team. We are not looking for high uh, self-promoters or individual achievers necessarily at that level. We're looking for team folks who will, again, uh, sublimate their own personal goals to that of their team. And then naturally, I think we're looking for people who smile and say, what can I do to help? You know, that's the old trick of when you take people out for a job interview, you've heard this before, how people interact, at least the theory goes, how they interact with the wait staff is how they'll interact with team members without you in the room. So we want people to say, hey, thanks for uh, bringing our food out. Hey, thank you for checking on us. Hey, thank you so much. Smiling. What time's your shift start today? That kind of thing. If we see those things, we've got the right person. Excellent. Clark, thank you so much. And everyone who's listened today, thanks for helping kick off this um, first episode of Leadership Upside and this adventure that that we're all embarking on. Uh, our intention is to discuss with what successful business leaders in diverse organizations are doing, saying, and thinking. Our guest today has been Clark Twitty. If you'd like to learn more about Twitty and Company, please visit their website, twitty.com. 
Clark, thanks for sharing these great leadership insights. Thank you, Chuck. Congratulations on your podcast. Thanks a lot.